I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Editing Podcast. We've got another guest for you this week, our friend and colleague Sophie Playle, who runs Liminal Pages. Sophie is a fiction editor who specialises in story-level critiques, so when we decided to dedicate an episode to types of developmental editing, who better to chat to? That's right, and Sophie's developmental editing courses come highly recommended by our fellow mm. editors, so we Thank know she knows her stuff. So, welcome Sophie. Thank Hello. you. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Um, yeah, and I also just wanted to say um, a big thank you to Louise, because I think it's safe to say that I wouldn't be the editor I am today without Louise's encouragement, support, all her resources on her blog and everything. She's really helped me at the start of my career. And also, whenever I go to a, a, an editing event and you're there, Denise, I always feel so much better about being there. <laughs> you always make me feel really welcome. And oh, I just oh, want to say oh. as well, well done on the editing podcast because I think it's fantastic. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you. Oh, you can <laughs> come on again anytime. I know. I'm <laughs> we like her, don't we? She and I think we should back. tell the listeners we didn't even prompt her to say any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kind of you, oh, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you both. <laughs> so, first of all, can you tell us about developmental editing? For starters, what is it? Yep. So. Developmental editing is basically the, uh, it's like a big picture look at a manuscript. So um, it, your, a developmental editor will help authors identify and solve all those sort of big picture storytelling issues in their manuscripts. Um, things like um, the, whether the story itself works, the pacing, the structure, characterization, uh, narrative technique. Um, it doesn't address grammar, spelling, punctuation, sentence structure, all of those sort of nitty gritty sentence level yeah. stuff. Mm. Um, so things yeah. like plot, would it cover that as well? I mean, you yes, probably cover that in structure. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah, plot and structure are very similar. And I, I usually um, like to differentiate between story and plot, because I think that those terms get a bit um, used interchangeably when um, huh. they're not quite the same. So yeah, definitely story and plot. Can you oh. can you can you actually go into that a little bit more, just um, briefly? Because um, I think a lot of less experienced authors and editors who don't do developmental mental work might not understand that the nuances between definitely because because mm. I don't I don't do fiction, so I'm curious to know the difference. Definitely. Yeah, well, I actually think um, in a lot of um writing about developmental editing and, and storycraft that they are terms that are used quite interchangeably um but basically story is what happens and plot is how that is presented um in in the books in terms of structure so you can wow. have a story every story will have a beginning a middle and an end and the events of the story will will link through cause and effect um, but you can play with the plot by restructuring the story. So you might have um, flashbacks or you could start at the end and then sort of go back towards the beginning. And, and that's the plot. That is um, ah, how, how, it right. reads, how it reads from page one to the end is how it's been plotted. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, rather than the sort of 
yeah the story is the chronological bit it's the yeah. it's the chronological the plot's not necessarily linear then that's yeah. what you're saying that's yeah. It. yeah the yeah. story could be something like um a person was murdered and a detective um tries to uncover who did it that story that's but, story. but but the but the way that that is um shown to the reader like you're saying through flashbacks or through diary entries or through different characters having separate chapters all that stuff the way that's structured and given that would be plot that yeah more specifically more specifically the time in the time frame okay. so and um, not necessarily mm-hmm. the mode like the um you can have like a letter or diary entry, but it would be the actual timing of the event that creates the plot. Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's it's about the chronology of it then. Would yeah. You say? Yeah. Yeah. How that's presented that it's not necessarily A then B then C or whatever. Yeah. That it's yeah. Okay. That's it. So basically, in a nutshell, stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. But when you plot a story, the order of the events is considered. Gotcha. That's really that's interesting. Really, really interesting. Yeah. And as a, someone who specialises in line editing, that's really useful for me to to understand that that bigger picture. Because I think I'm an editor who, because I don't do developmental editing, I think I'm I would be guilty perhaps of of using those words interchangeably without really really understanding the nuances. And 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 I bet there are a lot of writers, fiction writers, who haven't studied storycraft, who who might fall on that point as well. So thank you for that. That's brilliant. Yeah, it would, I, think... I was just thinking it would also presumably apply to memoir as well and narrative nonfiction, that sort of thing. It's the oh. same differentiation. Yeah, and I mm. think, um, you know, most people kind of know what you're talking about within the context of how you're saying it. But um, yeah, I think I think there is confusion around it um, because, and I put it down to this quote from E.M. Forster, um, who said, who defined plot and story, but I think he actually defined it wrong. So... <laughs> oh, how lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying that Ian Forster got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ian Forster. But um, yeah, he basically said, the king died and then the queen died is a story, but the king died and then the queen died of grief is a plot. And he, he said that um, plot is all about um, cause, cause and effect. But I, I don't think that's right. I think that's... I think all stories need cause and effect because if you just had a string of random events, you wouldn't say that was a story. No, so I would say stories are defined by co- like chronological cause and effect events, and the plot is when you move those events around. Mm. That makes sense to me, actually. Now that you've, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually an easier framework the way you describe it to, to get your head around mm-hmm. it. I think I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if I'd have read what Forster had said that I would have, I would have necessarily been more more enlightened yeah yeah and that gets that get that that um forced to quote gets used a lot in um in fiction theory books and things so and courses I, so yeah i think there that's i'm not blaming him but i think there yeah. is like there's definitely confusion around the two terms but mm, it is mm. useful to kind of think um, of the differences it's yeah. a classic thing though isn't it in editing uh the editing world that we see even within our editing community a lot about language and how the the terminology is so tangled and about how you know people define things in different ways and call different um oh yeah definitely yeah. stuff you know different you know so one, what one person calls copy editing another calls line editing or another person calls um proof editing and and it's very if it's if it's tough for us to get our heads around it it's a nightmare for for authors trying to make sense of who they need to work with and and what they need you know yeah definitely yeah Yeah. and it's the same with developmental editing um because you've got 
developmental editing, you've got manuscript critiquing, manuscript assessment. Um, and then I think there's there's some people that blend developmental editing with line and stylistic editing. And there's all these blurred boundaries, different yeah. different ways people <laughs> do things in different ways. So I think the main thing is you just need to be crystal clear about the service that you're getting, um, yeah. whether that's you're looking at the editor's website or you're asking questions because there are so many different ways to do things and yeah like you say same label can be applied to different services and yeah it can be really confusing and and editors Mm. that also we as editors need to take responsibility for making sure that we define our services clearly you know so that exactly yeah yeah it comes back to that whole thing of it's very difficult just to provide an off-the-shelf um, service and see up front mm. what you do and how much you, you charge for it because everybody has their own way of doing things and it really requires a conversation, doesn't it? Definitely, yeah. And and it's like you say, with editors, um, it can be hard to know if you're doing things, in quotes, right. And mm-hmm. people kind of get a bit... Um, unconfident because they're not sure they're doing things the right way and they kind of look to the the um, industry and compare and contrast to the way other people are doing it and I just kind of think especially with something like developmental editing which is um, so varied and can be so different um, you just have to think what how do you want to do it how do you want your service to look what does this author need what does this manuscript need and there's just no there's no like template for that there's no one yeah. one size fits all so um mm-hmm. you talked about critiques just briefly there Sophie um yeah. who would commission um a critique um and why would they do that rather than ask for a full developmental edit and um, where does critiquing come in the editorial process okay Lots of um, questions there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. so who would commission a critique so the the author um usually commissions a critique um so whereas you might have publisher clients for copy editing and things like that proofreading um it's usually the author themselves who will go to an editor for a critique um that's before they submit to agents um or before they get line and copy editing and proofreading all those sentence level services if they're going to self-publish um so it because it looks at the the overall manuscript the big picture stuff you want to get that stuff sorted first before you then drill down into the sentences because you might end up cutting loads of things Mm. um there could be some fundamental things to do with the narrative style that you need to address or the story or the plot itself and you don't want to get too down into the details before you sort of those big big picture things out Mm -hmm. so that's when you would commission one um before before you get into the sentence level stuff Right. Um, what was the other question? <laughs> um, I think you've nailed it. Okay. So I want yeah. to know what what kind of person would what they would be looking for, and and at what stage. And, oh, yes, and the oh, between... I suppose the other thing was why they would do that rather than ask for a, a full developmental edit. But we, you've 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 gone into that. I mean, it's kind of more. It's like it's like an early earlier overview rather than a sort of nitty gritty done for you full yeah. edit. And I think you don't need a critique and a developmental edit necessarily. Mm. Um, depends how much help you think you need. Um, they can you can have a critique or a developmental edit. Um, 
critique is usually more zoomed out and it's usually presented as an editorial report where the editor will um, summarise their assessment of your manuscript and um, give you suggestions on how to improve it. They'll hopefully as well um, talk about the strengths and tell you where you're going right because you know that's uh -huh. always nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas with a developmental edit usually you will get the report as well but you also get extensive notes in the manuscript itself. So you might, um, the editor might be picking out specific examples of um, some of the bigger picture um, elements. So for example, a critique might talk generally about how you've used point of view in the manuscript, yeah. um, but a, a developmental editor, a developmental edit might then go into the manuscript, highlight instances of head hopping or tell you where a scene might be better from a different character's point of view and they'll they'll sort of drill down a bit deeper into the specifics of the manuscript. Can I just check something? Would would um would they actually the developmental editor if they were doing a full developmental edit would they be changing the manuscript? That's what I want to say like actually making revisions. So I think this is one of the things that depends on the editor. Um I think mostly they should be making notes so that you can uh, make the changes yourself. Okay. Um, but every now and then they might use track changes or they might highlight a bit and rewrite it to illustrate how you can do something as an example. Okay. So, so uh, talking about the head hopping example, they might label it, here's some head hopping in this scene. Um, here's how you might decide to fix it. And then they'll do that. And then, for future occurrences of that same problem, they might just highlight it again and just say, here's a bit for you to fix sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, but as I said earlier, I do think that there is a little bit of overlap sometimes between developmental editing and stylistic and line editing, because I've seen on some editors' websites when they um, provide an example, you know, have you seen where they have like example PDFs of different levels uh -huh. of editing? Yeah. Sometimes I see ones that are labeled developmental editing and they really get into the nuances of the sentences. So they'll, and they will be changing almost every sentence and. Yeah. Um, I call that a line edit almost. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So they'll be suggesting different words, different sentence structures, uh, moving paragraphs around. Um, yeah. And still like providing comments on character development and all of that bigger stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think there is potentially some crossover, but again, depends on the editor. And for like in my opinion, I'm not sure how useful that is to get too deep into the sentences if you haven't first addressed the the bigger things. Yeah. So Sophie, are you saying then really that it, whether it's critique or a full developmental edit, the the editor will be indicating where changes could or should be made, but the onus is then on the author to go away and do that work themselves. Yes, yes. right. It should, it should never be about the editor um, rewriting the author's manuscript mm. or telling them exactly how to do things. They should be providing suggestions um, because suggestions can help illustrate a point. If you don't, you know, if you're not... Um, sure what the editor's exact, you know, saying exactly. A, a suggestion um, is a great way to, yeah, provide that example and, and, and get the author's brain 
thinking of their own solutions. Yeah. Does that um, ever cause problems if you're working with um, a relatively inexperienced author who then you're highlighting issues that need to be changed, but they don't necessarily know how to handle them? What happens then? Um, you just have to um, explain the problem as clearly and objectively as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, you, as I said, you might offer some suggestions, but if they're if they're a bit too inexperienced, then I would um, I would point them in the direction of some more in depth learning materials, like right. a particular book or something along those lines, um, because it, it's very difficult to write a novel, and there's lots of lots of um, elements that have to come together and work together, and yeah, and it. Yeah, if you you don't know what you don't know sometimes. So um, exactly, if, if, there's, if there's too much, if if a, if an author is particularly inexperienced and they they just didn't realise how much they didn't know, and there's an awful lot of work to be done on the book, then yeah, they they will probably have to go away, learn about a few different issues, and the critique or the developmental edit will um, give them a, a basic overview of those issues and mm. a basic lesson in those issues. But it's not really the place for extreme in-depth learning and understanding. Um, yeah. And I suppose maybe that's where it's sort of the difference. Maybe there's a nuance difference there in terms of writing coaching and, and yes. developmental editing. Because a writing coach might be sort of taking a more long-term view to um, developing the writer's craft, helping that's the writer. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, a coach would be focused on helping the writer develop, where a, a developmental editor is focused on helping the writer develop this manuscript. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, Sophie, just thinking back to that conversation we had earlier about the difference between story and plot, mm -hmm. which I found fascinating, um, yeah. have you got any tips for authors on how to think about starting to structure their novel? Um, is, is story structure something that they should think about before they start writing in the planning stage or does that depend on an individual's approach to it? Yeah, I think it definitely depends on an individual's approach. Everybody creates differently. Um, lots of people find it helpful to meticulously plot a novel or they might just have a few of the major plot points in mind or a concept that they use to launch off from. Other people will um, just write and see where it takes them and then spend a lot of their time revising and reshaping something into a more traditional narrative shape. Um, but yeah, I think, um, in, in, in its sort of essence, every story must have a beginning, middle and an end, as we've said. Um, and that, that idea has been around since, um, ancient Greek times, you know, um, <laughs> when it was first put into writing, I think by Aristotle in, in the book Poetics. Um, and he said, he's, he literally said, every story must have a beginning, a middle and an end. And the events of that story must be causally related to one another as being either necessary or probable. And, in a, you know, I think that that's that's the story in a nutshell. That sums um, it up, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Good old Aristotle. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, from that, we've developed this um, idea of the three act structure. Um, right. So the. The three acts are, are, are literally the beginning, the middle and the end. So we have the setup, which is the beginning, the development of the story, which is the middle, and then the climax and the resolution, which is the end. 
and this kind of story structure has just been it just seems to exist you know it's it's yeah. just we see it through history we see it through um plays and you know Shakespeare's time and and beyond that and um we see it in uh movies and and scripts these days and it's yeah it's everywhere and it just seems to be some kind of innate part of the way humans interpret narratives yeah yeah um, and so bearing in thinking about that three-act structure how about in terms of creativity and flexibility is there um flexibility when it comes to structuring a story and you know what how far can people deviate yeah there's definitely flexibility otherwise things could get quite boring I think <laughs> um but um you still need to have some kind of structure um I think the more literary your novel is the more experimental it can be in structure usually um all, all stories all stories and genres can deviate from traditional structure but um literary fiction is probably more known for it um because of the nature of literary fiction just being more experimental mm. um but with every every novel every story there still needs to be some kind of structure and there needs to be momentum in the story um mm. so one of the things that um i think a lot of new writers sometimes fall down on is they don't have a narrative question in place and that is the the story question so it's the question that is um that is presented at the start of the book and answered by the end of the book. And that in itself drives the story forward. Um, so for example, uh, for the Hunger Games, the, the narrative question is, will Katniss survive the Hunger Games? Mm -hmm. um, and for, for a book like Watership Down, it would be, will the rabbits find uh, a good home, to, you know, a good permanent home to mm -hmm. live in, something like that. Um, and that's that's that needs to be considered um, in terms of plotting because you will then um, create plot points that that keep that story interesting and keep the reader wanting to know more. Yeah, yeah I was that's interesting, actually, because I was listening last night to I've got a subscription to the, the Masterclass webinars and um, David Mamet was talking on there about Aristotle Oh, yeah. um, and um but and he was talking about that that he, he didn't he didn't frame it in the same way as you but it was exactly that point about holding that that central question through the whole yeah. make sure that through the whole the whole story <laughs> that 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 you don't lose track of the author doesn't lose track of that he was talking about it from the point of view of plays particularly but that 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 idea that you know sometimes people go off on a tangent and the, and the and the reader just like goes well I don't know how that relates to what I'm trying to find out and and he was saying if got elements in a book that you know and mean that you're just and you know it's your opportunity as an author maybe to to preach a, a particular belief to a set of um your readers but it's still not answering that question then it shouldn't be in there you know yeah, he's talking about that centrality of it to, to holding on to that nugget all the way through so that you keep the you you don't you stop the story sagging yeah yeah and that's it yeah um but yeah um just going back to what you were saying Louise about keeping um the 
story focused on a particular narrative question. I think that's also um, partly how uh, authors get in a bit of a, a muddle with subplots because they some people can some people think a subplot can just be a different plot that's just don't, totally disconnected and secondary to the main story, but actually it still needs to affect the main story. Um, because otherwise you could just put it in a different novel and it'd have like no effect. You need you need the whole story to feel cohesive. Um, but on top of that, I also think theme is really important um, in in making things in making a story feel cohesive and hang together. So you can have um, you can have scenes or subplots that don't seem to exactly directly relate to the main plot, but as long as they're um, exploring the same themes or a different angle of the same themes then it still feels cohesive and whole okay so have you got an example of that sophie um yeah so i think um just off the top of my head um an example could be in jane eyre um when jane is in the um the, the school that she's sent to um she befriends a, a girl called helen burns and she discovers that Helen Burns chooses um, spirituality and she kind of renounces earthly concerns um, and 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 kind of submits to the cruelty of the school. Um, and this this kind of um, jars with Jane. She she can she admires how um, Helen is sort of embodies this goodness, but she just can't. She just doesn't feel as um, passive towards injustice and it's it's quite a this is this is one of the themes of Jane Eyre is that she's trying to balance being a good person without submitting to injustices so we could literally cut out Helen from the story and we would still follow the story of Jane Eyre go, uh, growing up and meeting um, Mr Rochester and, yeah. and all of that mm. but Helen represents this part of the theme of um, good versus justice and and all this sort of thing. Oh, it's like um, a sort of almost a, a prop then, in, in that sense, a sort of way of an interesting way of bringing in um, something, a way of giving giving um, Jane a, 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 a way to or the reader uh, access to to, to the, the reasons or triggers for the why she you know the way she thinks. Yeah, I mean, it all everything in a novel um, connects to everything else, and um, so. Here, theme also connects to plot and it also connects to character development. Oh. So um, when things inter like when things interweave like that, you end up with a really strong, meaningful narrative. Um, and yeah, this is I, that example came to mind because actually um, one of the assignments for my um, developmental editing fiction theory course is to get people to um, look at the themes in a novel and kind of analyze them. So one of my students recently. Um, looked at, at Jane Eyre so that was why that one came ah, to mind. Ah right. Yeah. <laughs> Sophie thank you so much I think we could probably talk about this for much much longer. Yeah there's clearly a huge amount to say on it but I think this is going to be really useful for fiction authors who perhaps weren't really aware of the differences between the macro levels of editing such as developmental stylistic and the more micro levels of editing that yeah. Louise and I tend to deal with towards the copy editing and proofreading stages so thank you very much for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, so many times less experienced authors, I think, think they've nailed their their structure and their plot. Um, when in fact there's still there's still work to be done there, and it really isn't a good investment to be hiring line editing or copy editing if the book hasn't been taken through that big picture mill. Um, I've learned a huge amount today. Um, like Denise said, we could just talk and talk about much more of this and you know actually it would be useful to get you on in the future again Sophie maybe to sort of talk about specific things like narrative style or theme and we can dig into those a little bit more deeply but I think this has been a fantastic overview. Oh that's great yeah it would be great to come back um, and I just wanted to add as well that I think it's important to um, say that not you don't necessarily need to pay out for these services um, because mm. especially if you're an indie author um, you will have a limited budget so sometimes you just got to think where do I need the help and where can I put my budget yeah. um, you might be able to sort these things out with uh, the help of beta readers or just through like intense um, personal learning um, or a writing yeah. group maybe writing or, yeah. group yeah there's other ways um, because it can be a really expensive part of the process so I don't want people to think that they mm -hmm. have to get a developmental yeah. editor well that's, that's that's a really great point and it reinforces what Louise and I have talked about in some of our earlier episodes about when you do have a limited budget for editing it's deciding where that money is best spent and it may or may yeah. not be the developmental editing stage yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. So now it's time for Editing Bytes. This is our regular feature where we recommend a tool or resource to help you on your writing journey. So Louise, what have you got this week? So I'm going to recommend something of Sophie's because I think this is something authors sometimes come unstuck with, which is such a shame after all that hard work of writing their novel. It's an article called How to Write a Synopsis, Everything You Need to Know, and it's brilliant. And there's also a link in it to a book by Nicola Morgan called Write a Great Synopsis with lots of examples in it. Um, and I'm also going to link to um, in the show notes um, Sophie's other resource, How to Write a Query Letter. And all three of those things are well worth any author's time if they're seeking literary agent representation. That's three bites, isn't it? Not one. Sorry, I'm biting today. <laughs> we'll let you off because I think they're all very good. <laughs> Thanks for recommending those. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> Well, my recommendation is for Scott Norton's Developmental Editing, a handbook for freelancers, authors and publishers. Now, I see this mentioned a lot on editing forums when people are asking about resources for developmental editing. It's very in-depth and I think possibly a bit heavy going in parts, but it's definitely a key title that gets, gets referred to a lot. I bought it to learn more about this whole area because I'm not a developmental editor. But I have to confess, I haven't gone much beyond the introduction just yet. <laughs> so that's it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. And we've put all the links we've mentioned in the show notes so you can grab everything there. Bye. Bye bye.